This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Kate Willett, a comedian who has appeared on Comedy Central and Viceland. She has an album called Glass Gutter and a new special out on the comedy lineup on Netflix. Kate, welcome. Hello. Hello. Uh, how's it going? It's great. I'm a huge fan of the show, so it's so cool to be talking with you. It is so cool to have you on the other end, and I hope that you are ready um, to be a part of something that you love. Yeah, absolutely. If there is uh, one thing that I don't lack, it's opinions about what other people should be doing with their lives. Have have you ever had a moment previously on the show where you were just like, I can't listen to this like another day until I get on the show and can tell everyone what to do? I think I I feel that way a lot of the time about the dog questions. Oh, I, the, the I, dog questions are the most upsetting to me, honestly. I don't think we have any pet questions for today. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I noticed that. I was like, oh, good, no dog questions, because I'll just uh, get really mad. I love dogs. I want everyone to be really nice to little dogs. People have a lot of feelings about dogs. I can absolutely attest to that fact. Um, I have been on this job for almost three years, and I have not yet run out of dog opinions uh, that I have gotten to hear. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we are not going to talk about animals at all. We're actually starting with like kind of a a big, intense question. Um, And I would love it if you would get us started by reading it. Okay. The subject is how to say no to a religious friend's wedding. Dear Prudence, hearing about the latest abuses by the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania was the final straw. I will never step foot in a Catholic church again. My close friend will be getting married next summer in a Catholic church and having a reception at a different location. What's the best time and way to explain to her without causing unnecessary drama? I don't care that she has chosen to get married in the church or that she still wants to be a Catholic, and I plan on going to the reception, but I cannot sit in that church without thinking about all the deeply disturbing things I've read in the grand jury report from Pennsylvania. Help. Yeah. So we're starting off with a big one. Um, And this one actually inspired me to go download a copy uh, of the grand jury's report. And I'm only partway through it myself. But I get where this uh, reader is coming from. Um, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to take a look at it or if you've been following any of this. Um, But it's absolutely massive. It's systemic. Uh, The grand jury reviewed over half a million pages of internal documents from the diocese um, and found credible allegations against over 300 priests. Um, I I think part of why this is an important question to think about is there can, I think, sometimes be a difference between um, at, at, at what point do you want to hold like a central governing body of a particular religion accountable or or ask questions versus something that would like uh, make any individual member of a faith responsible from like abuses from the clergy. Um, and so I think this is a really useful thing to kind of sit and consider. Yeah, I think so, too. I think in this particular case that there is a time and a place to have an in-depth conversation with her friend about, well, I don't know why I just assumed I just applied pronouns that I don't know to mm-hmm. this to this letter writer. So um, this letter writer, I think, uh, doesn't necessarily need to have an in-depth conversation with the friend who's getting married about all of this stuff right now. But I definitely think that there's a time and a place for that conversation in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the letter writer has a really good sense already of what they do and don't want to ask. And I think it's very reasonable to say, I don't think everyone else needs to make the exact same call I have made. Um, I don't believe that it is impossible to be a a practicing Catholic um, and take this really seriously and acknowledge that the, you know, leadership of the church has completely failed to adequately respond um, to the absolute epidemic of child abuse and child abuse cover-ups. Um, which I think is is really fair. But simply to say, I personally am not comfortable stepping into a Catholic church 
because of this failure of response. Um, that that to me seems like a really reasonable thing to say. Um, to me as well. I yeah. think that seems perfect. And I think that seems like something that this person's friend should certainly understand. Yeah. If they're conscientious. You know, that's that's a pretty um, reasonable point. And, and I think especially since it's a year out, like you're giving your friend plenty of advance notice. Um, and so I think just to make it clear, you're so excited to celebrate her. You're thrilled to get to be at the reception. You are not asking her to not be married there or saying that you don't think it's possible to be part of the church. Um, but to just say, you know, especially having read this latest report um, and feeling like the scale and the institutional response is just not what it needs to be. I, I can't be in a Catholic church. Um, and so I want to let you know I will be at the reception. I cannot wait to celebrate you, but I, I won't go inside a Catholic church. Um, and, you know, you say you don't want to cause unnecessary drama. You know, hopefully it will be more like meaningful conflict than drama. Um you know, I, I hope she would be able to talk through any potential feelings she might have about that choice with you rather than, like, uh, escalating it or talking about it with other people. But if she's a really close friend of yours uh, and, and, you know, it's a year from now, um, I think have that conversation now and just let her know you're not asking anything else. You just need her to know that that's your choice. And I hope that she would be able to respect that. Yeah, my hope is that this person is so conscientious that their friends would also be conscientious. I don't know. I, I can imagine that this might lead to even a really deeper understanding of your friends and maybe your friend understanding some of the issues that, you know, that are Im important to consider right now. So I, I think it could end up in a really a closer situation, especially if you add in like a few few details about just how excited you are for her and, um, you know, say other things that you can truly authentically be excited about regarding the wedding. Yeah. And that would be my hope, too, especially, you know, I don't know um, how important uh, your friend's faith is to her if she is a practicing Catholic or if her fiance is or um, I, I imagine if they're getting married in a church, they both are. Um, but, you know, it may be that she thinks about this deeply and seriously, too. And um, she may also have some strong feelings about it and an intense sense of um, grief uh, about the, the failure of response. Um, and, and that might be actually something you two could have a meaningful conversation about. But your choice is a reasonable one. I don't think you're asking too much of her. You're not making any sweeping judgments or claims about other people who might make slightly different choices than you. Um, and so I think you are good to go to have that challenging conversation. And I hope you can just kind of start by saying, I've been a little anxious to talk about this with you because my main priority between the two of us is to stress how excited I am for you and how thrilled I am that you're getting married. Um, so I have been a little anxious about bringing this up. Um, although, I, you know, I certainly do get a lot of letters from people who get pretty intense responses around weddings. So I, I think it's also probably helpful to prepare. She may, at least at first, respond a little intensely. Now, Kate, all I can think about is that letter that's been making the rounds this last week of that like Facebook post that somebody made after they failed to get $1,500 out of all of their wedding guests. Oh, my gosh. I saw that. Honestly, that made me kind of glad to be on Twitter for a minute again. It's it's pretty rare that I see something entertaining on social media anymore. And I, I have to say that, that that did satisfy the very petty part of me. It did feel like everyone who was online that day kind of came together and was just like, oh, we're going to really enjoy this for a couple of hours. <laughs> Uh, and it may yeah, not be our best moment. It may not produce anything especially useful, but we're going to do it together. And that's meaningful. <laughs> totally. Uh, for listeners who maybe have not heard, it was simply, uh, you know, supposedly uh, the Facebook post of somebody who was angrily calling off their wedding because their guests um, either declined to or changed their minds about donating $1,500 ahead um, to pay for a very over-the-top extravagant wedding. And it's just sort of a perfect storm of things people like to criticize yeah, and they couldn't come if they didn't pay it was like the it was the price that you had to pay to come to the wedding was fifteen hundred dollars yeah and i think that the, the the post also came with a sort of like and you won't be able to get in touch with me for the next two months because i'm gonna go you know backpack through some part of south america to just get over this um and when i come back you know i might be ready to listen to some of you grovel but who's to say oh my gosh yeah yeah all right so Turning away from that for a second, uh, the subject of the next letter is done parenting. Dear Prudence, 
My husband and I have done our best to give our children a head start in life. We paid for college, cars, and houses. We're retiring early and have always wanted to live abroad while we're still active and able. Our youngest daughter has always been reckless, getting a degree in a risky field, dropping job opportunities to follow a boyfriend across the country, getting married at 22 to a man she'd only known for six months. We love her, but at this point, she needs to start standing on her own two feet. Her husband refuses to finish his degree. We offered to pay for his last semester, but he wanted to change his entire major. And our daughter is the primary breadwinner. Now she is pregnant, and her plan is to move back in with us and have us take care of the baby. We've been talking about our overseas move since before she got married. We told her that while we're happy about this grandchild, that doesn't change our plans. We're done raising children, and if she's going to be a mother, she needs to act like one. Our daughter became destructive. She used foul language against her father and threatened to never let us see the baby. If we left, we might as well be dead to her since we, quote, didn't care enough to stick around anyways. She's also fighting with her brother and sisters over this. Her sister canceled the baby shower she was going to throw. It feels like my family is disintegrating before my eyes. We have airplane tickets paid for and plans to go house hunting overseas. My husband says that all this will blow over and that we can't force our daughter to grow up. I'm worried that if we go, the situation will get worse. This is not how I wanted to welcome my first grandchild into the world. What can I do? Mm. Man, when this one started with my husband and I have done our best to give our children a head start in life, um, I I don't want to say that that always happens. But whenever I get a letter with something like my partner and I have done our best to provide for our children, the rest of the letter is almost never. And they're really, really grateful for that. And things have worked out really, really well. Yeah, I think I was really struck in this letter that there's like logistics issues of, you know, who's going to take care of the baby, where's the daughter going to live. But there's also just like love issues. To me, I just hear just such an incredible amount of judgment towards the daughter's choices. You know, it's like I think there's a way to... There's a way to to describe this daughter as like, oh, you know, she is getting a degree in something that she's passionate about and she met someone and she fell in love and they've decided to start a family together. I mean, who knows? It sounds like the daughter has her own problems, too. But I mean, did they decide to start a family together? It kind of sounds like she decided to give her parents a child. Yeah, But do, do you, I don't know. I Well, I guess one of the things with advice podcasts is do you always believe that the letter writer is representing things accurately. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think that is that is always something that people split on. M- my general take is unless I have reason to believe that the letter writer is misrepresenting something, I can only take their word for it. Um, maybe the daughter has not, in fact, asked them to raise her daughter or her child. But uh, if I were to assume that wasn't the case, I don't know that I would know how to answer this question. Like, I think you're lying. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I just wasn't sure if she meant that she totally wants to hand the child over or does she want her parents help with with raising the child like does she need a place to stay does she need um a little bit of assistance while she finishes school i wasn't sure to Mm. what extent actually because there's an extent that seems reasonable to me Mm -hmm. and then there's an extent that i think becomes super unreasonable well that's good though i i like this talk me through so just given that any letter there's always room for other points of view if you were not to take this letter at face value and you thought that perhaps there was more judgment than was necessary coming from the parents' part, what would be what would be your advice? Would you say move? Would you say stay? Would you say something in between? I would say that, of course, this family doesn't have to commit to, you know, raising the, the new baby until the new baby is an adult or something. But I mean, to me, if if what the if what the daughter is asking for is some support um, during infancy, uh, you know, maybe while she's um, while she's finishing. Well, it sounds like she's working and her husband is finishing school. Like if they just need a little bit of help getting on their feet and what that would take would be the grandparents delaying their trip for like a while, maybe six months, maybe a year to just kind of help with this this brand new baby. To me, that seems very reasonable and like something that a loving parent would do. You know, if it becomes a like this is forever situation, then then that seems like not a reasonable thing to ask. But I, I think if it's for a short time, yeah, I'd really consider it. Yeah. And, you know, I think if there is any potential for a, like a reproachment right now, um, I just realized, by the way, that I've never said that word out loud before. And it sounds like I mean reproaching. I mean, like the word that looks like reproachment. I'm describing this very badly. I, I started writing it down on a piece of paper. And then I remember this is a podcast and people can't see the word I mean. I'm going to find a synonym. Yeah. So so I think, number one, the thing to, to say first to the daughter is, you know, um, things got really heated the last time that we talked. 
if this is a matter of saying that we are dead to you unless we make a decision that you want, like those are not terms that we're going to agree to talk to you under. I want to hear you. I want to hear where you're coming from. I want to tell you where I'm coming from. I would love to get to know my grandchild. I'm excited to be a grandparent. If there's any way for us to do that, that is what I want more than anything. But if what you are saying is either we never leave the country or we'll never see our grandchild again, or if we make a choice that we've been talking about for years, we are now dead to you, you know, we're just not going to engage on that level. Um, And at that point, I don't think a conversation is possible. But yes, if the letter writer both wants to stay, um, if the daughter is willing to, you know, apologize for the things that she said and, and, you know, come at this again from a less intense angle, certainly I, I can imagine wanting to stay and meet the grandbaby and to see the grandbaby and, and, you know, presumably to come back and visit uh, occasionally. That would be wonderful if that were possible. Um, But I don't think that it would be a good way to start by saying, okay, we won't do this until you decide you're not going to threaten to never let us see this baby again or to not declare us dead to you. Yeah, absolutely. But I I guess what I was trying to express at the beginning um, is just that I think maybe some of the conflict isn't just coming from this, um, from what to do about the baby or where to live. Like if if my, you know, I, I kind of related to this letter in some ways, I guess, because my parents were very against my chosen profession and they were very against whichever romantic partner I chose. And, you know, that's just it's exhausting. It cut off emotional intimacy and I think led to people making threats about like, oh, you don't love me if this and that and I'm not going to do this and you can't see me. And it wasn't necessarily about the issue at hand. Mm. And I think that regardless of what you do in the specific situation, whether you travel abroad or decide to stay around for a little while, you know, there might be an opportunity to to ask your daughter some questions about like why why are you interested in this major you know what are you passionate about like um you know to get to maybe know her husband a little more it sounds like there's not really a ton of respect going on for that relationship and i can just imagine that if i was in that situation that it would really hurt. And, yeah. and the reason I can imagine that is because I think I have been in that situation. But I also have a lot of empathy for the letter writer, too. And, you know, that that really, I think, is is a hard situation to be in where your daughter is holding your relationship with your grandchildren hostage unless you totally change your life plan. So right. it, it seems like there's kind of rough behavior all around, but that some yeah. things could get better, I think, um, by having a little more respect for each other's perspectives, even outside of this main issue that's on the table. It, I, I will say, though, it does sound like, I mean, you know, college is, is over at this point. They, they paid for it, right? So, like, they, they bought her that degree. Like, they did pay for that. And the only person we know who has threatened to withhold love at this point is the daughter. So maybe they were, like, offering up a lot of digs uh, or, or maybe they would periodically threaten to withhold money. We don't have any, you know, concrete evidence for that in the letter. Um, my read on this is that they have been a little more passive with her in the past. And a lot of these judgments that are coming up in the letter, they've been kind of biting their tongue about because they felt like, well, if we were to say anything, um, that would not be supportive. And now they're reaching a point where they realize, ah, perhaps never saying anything was not working out for us because now, you know, we're about to do this thing we've been talking about for years. And she's really, really unleashing a lot of um, invective and threats. Um, and, and so I I think... Generally speaking, um, if your daughter is in her 20s and is married and you have paid for her car, her college, a house, um, she is not in immediate need of parental support in the way she would if she were like 17 years old um, or had not finished college or was on the verge of becoming homeless. So certainly, um, I I don't think you should feel like you need to... um, be responsible for her well-being. I think really what this needs to be about is is just seeing, is there any way we can talk on different terms? Um, and to say, look, it's not like we want to like leave the country tomorrow. It's not that we don't want to meet your child. It's not that we're not happy for you. Um, but the role that we will play in your child's life is that of grandparents who come in sometimes for a visit and love the heck out of that baby and Skype sometimes and send presents, um, not daycare every day, not living with you. That's not on the table. That's not on offer. We're not able to do that. Um, And I hope she can hear that. And if her only response to that is it's either that or nothing, you know, then I think the most you can do is keep your temper in check, 
say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, I hope if you ever change your mind that you know we're, we're your parents, we love you, we're available, and then to carry on with your plans as they are. Um, but, you know, if there's any, you know, if there's any way to stay calm, try to have that conversation, make it clear what you are and aren't able to do. Um, if there's any possibility that she says, I would love for you to meet the baby or, you know, I, I would love for you to stay until the baby is born. Um, you know, talk about this. See if that's possible. It may not be. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know. I, I think also I had a little bit more empathy for the daughter originally just because I was I have been thinking lately just about how hard it is to get childcare in this country and just like yeah. what a tough situation it is to be a mom especially without a ton of resources or a dad mm -hmm. uh you know and I don't know to me it just it doesn't seem like because someone doesn't have all their childcare situation figured out that that means that they're necessarily irresponsible I mean just the kind of super capitalist thing that we've got going on in this country I think that makes that really hard for a lot of people but yeah i completely see what you're saying about uh the the grandparents and and their own needs as well and that's really important yeah no and that's absolutely true i mean a of all i think it's always good to like check in on any letter and say is there somebody i could be extending empathy to that i haven't tried that yet um and i think it is also absolutely true that uh, yeah we we live in a country that often you know penalizes people for becoming parents without first remembering to be incredibly wealthy um, and it also sounds like if she is uh, the main breadwinner and she knows that there's going to be at least some time where during the later stages of her pregnancy and the early months of her child's life, she may not be able to work. Um, I, I can imagine that there's a lot of anxiety about whether or not her, her partner is going to be able to help with that or, or how they will make ends meet. So um, all of those are questions that I don't think we can fully answer, but I think will be great for, for the letter writers to bear in mind. But, you know, when it comes to that thing your husband said, letter writer, which is that my husband says this will all blow over. It may not. I don't know. I don't know what blow over would look like in this situation. Um, the second part, we can't force our daughter to grow up, um, I, I think might be better phrased as like we cannot control her behavior. Um, and that part I think is true. So all you can do is say, what am I willing and not willing to do? And to think about that before you have the conversation. Um, how can I speak to my daughter without matching her in tone and intensity? Like if she starts cursing or saying you're dead to her, you know, how are you going to exit that conversation without matching that? Because um, it can be hard not to get carried away in the heat of the moment if somebody's saying really intense things to you to not try to hurt them as much as you can. And I don't think that that is something that you would feel good about, especially if you were then to leave the country. Um, and to, to see if a conversation is possible. And if it is, to try to move in the direction of... Um, reconciliation um, and, and being there in some form as the baby is born. And if it's not, um, you can absolutely continue with the plans that you've had for years um, while also trying to leave at least some small door open um, if there ever comes a day when she does, you know, continue to grow, continue to learn um, and, and regrets the way that she left things. Um, but that's really painful. That's, that's really difficult to have someone say, by the way, no advance warning. I have planned on you raising my child. Um, and if you don't do that, you're dead to me. That's really, uh, that sounds really painful and really manipulative. And I'm sorry that she's put you in that position. I agree. Huh. All right. So we're going to move to something a little, at least more like, um, I, I feel like there's a clearer way forward on this third letter, which is just sort of like, what do I do? I think there's an answer here. But would you go ahead and read that letter for us? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Subject. Should an Airbnb host neighbor be part of their review. Dear Prudence, I recently stayed in an Airbnb in Virginia. The host was communicative, lovely, thoughtful, and the house was super clean. But as I was driving up the dirt road to her place, I noticed that her neighbor's house, maybe about 50 feet away down the driveway, had an enormous Confederate flag hanging out front. Is this something that should be included in the review? On the one hand, it has nothing to do with the experience the host herself created for us as guests. On the other hand, the whole point of leaving reviews on Airbnb is to give future possible guests a sense of what level of comfort, safety, and general positivity they can expect if they were to stay there. I could imagine that for many people, having a Confederate flag hanging on a nearby house might very well affect their feeling of safety or interest in staying in a place. Is it worth mentioning the neighbor's Confederate flag in the review? Is it wrong not to mention this? Or could that potentially be unfair to the host? I mean, this is a very specific problem. 
this is a problem for people who would want to, you know, stay at a house in rural Virginia um, and would also uh, apparently not be aware that there is some active, you know, racist Confederate imagery out there, Um, which is not to say that, you know, it's not impossible to imagine that somebody would do the first and not be aware of the latter. But, um, you know, the question is, should I not mention it because it might potentially hurt somebody else's ability to make money off of their real estate? I I see no reason not to write that down. Yeah, I agree. I think also... In the, I, I've used Airbnb a couple times and I feel like I remember in that interface there's like a either a numerical rating or thumbs up or something where you can kind of give a score but then also leave some comments and to me it makes sense to score this person highly but then in the comments leave the other information yeah absolutely like uh, the I have no issues with the host host was great be aware that if you stay here the neighbor has a giant confederate flag hanging up I think you you phrased it really well here in this letter. You made it really clear that um, everything about the house itself uh, was what you needed. But you also saw something that, you know, is in many ways a threat to some people's safety and that they should know about that before going in. Um, That's not a problem you created. It's not your responsibility to cover up for it, Um, you know. If for whatever reason I needed to to stay in that area and for whatever reason I needed to use that particular app, I'd I'd appreciate a heads up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I feel I, I, I feel fine. Like if, if you weigh like the potential distress of somebody uh, staying at that house who could have been warned and then showing up and seeing it versus, you know, the possibility that this person might make slightly less money, like periodically renting their place out. I'm going to I'm going to go with the person who. Uh, who's whose safety could be affected. Absolutely agree. Well, shoot, that one was easy. Uh, Let's just keep going then. Yeah, that was a really easy one. All right. At least this next one has some legs, I think. This next one has some, like, big picture questions. Um, Oh, yeah, I loved this one. This was was a crazy letter. I loved it. I especially love that the subject was just serious. Um, (laughs) In part because, like, part of the problem is that this letter writer has not been able to convince other people of seriousness in various moments. Uh, So, dear Prudence... I've recently moved home as a new college graduate, and I'm struggling to establish a career. I have the skills, education, and drive, but I also look like a middle schooler playing dress-up. I'm barely five feet tall and baby-faced. I'm also the baby of the family and get treated as such. I've gotten wedge heels, a haircut, tailored office clothes, and even taken public speaking lessons. But I'm still Lulu baby to my extended family. It's embarrassing and counterproductive to my attempts at networking. I'll be speaking to a stranger at a luncheon only to have one of my relatives come up yelling Lulu baby and ruffling my hair like I'm six years old. Whatever credibility I have established gets shot to hell. I've gone after good jobs, only to lose out to people with less experience and less training. A manager even once told me that I looked perfect on paper. My hometown area is small, so everyone knows everyone, and no one is going to hire someone for a professional position if they have the same name as someone's cockapoo. I'm not making this up. One of my relatives named their pet after me. My family will not listen to me when I ask them to call me by my given name and not treat me like a child. Telling embarrassing stories about the time I backed the car into the chicken coop when I was 16 doesn't leave a good impression on future employees. They don't get that and actively get offended if I correct them or respond negatively. I love my family, but they are killing my career chances. Man, can you move? I I hate to throw that out there because... Yeah, that was my first response to was move. I mean, I wasn't... I'm also not sure, like, what town is it that's so small that you're constantly running into your relatives, but big enough that there's tons of job opportunities? That really confused me. You know, I'm sure that there are towns along those lines. um, But that, yeah, that sounds like a uniquely difficult situation to be in. And I I think my... If it's this small, if it's really this small that you can't go to like a professional luncheon without running into a relative who will give you a wedgie in front of everybody, um, then not a wedgie. I was thinking of the wedge heels, uh, like ruffling the hair. (laughs) I'm mixing up my like dumb things kids do to each other at school. Um, You know, it, it may not be possible right now, but if you have any friends from college who have a cheap room or who might be able to host you for a couple of months, um, or if there are any jobs that you can try to apply to that are a little further outside of town, man, pursue that because this just sounds really stressful. I mean, that's not going to be my only advice because I realize that that just may be impossible, but man, put that at the top of your list. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it would be good too to just have the opportunity to reinvent yourself, you know, without all this baggage around. Yeah, I not reinvent. Maybe that's not the word, but it feels like this letter writer has it feels like they they also see themselves this way a little bit as as very, you know, I don't know, just like that that maybe at this point after family putting so much on you about like you're young, you're little, you're a baby, you know, that just that's been internalized in some way that being away from all of it could be very healing as you step into your own adulthood. Yeah, I'm so sorry, too, especially because you have tried to talk to them about it and you've explained like. I have seen myself lose credibility in the eyes of people I'm trying to get a job from when you do this. And their response has been, I don't care. Um, That's really rough. To whatever extent that this happens in public, um, I I think to continue to draw boundaries, just like if you see a relative coming up to you, like shouting and trying to grab you by the hair, um, to just like put a hand on their arm in such a way that's like, we're not shaking hands, we're not hugging, I'm acknowledging you in a way that like, allows me to back up um, and just say, it's good to see you. I'm actually applying for a job right now. Um, or if they say Lulu baby to just say something like, you know, I've asked me to call you Lucy or, you know, I've asked you to call me Lucy um, to stay as calm as possible, to be as direct as possible, not to get drawn into an argument if they try to say like, oh, but it's fun um, or like, I'm just goofing around or, you know, stop putting on airs or whatever, just to repeat, you know, I've asked you to stop that. Um That will, if nothing else, make it clear who the unreasonable party is being, um, that this is not behavior that you engage in, um, and sets a limit. Um, My guess is their response to that will be, you're not fun anymore, um, to which the only response can be, I'm trying to get a job. I'm trying to make a living. I know that this has been uh, preventing me from getting jobs. I don't know why it's so important to you that you call me a childhood nickname, that you're comfortable making it more difficult for me to make money, but it needs to stop. And just in general, for anyone who is listening, um, uh, somebody's height or the way that their face looks, they can't help that. And it is not, in fact, a reflection on whether or not they would be a good employee. And when you repeatedly draw attention to the fact that somebody looks young or small or more childlike than you believe that you do, um, you're being an ass. You're being an unmitigated ass. And you just need to stop like this 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 person is having to put so much extra time and effort into their appearance um, simply to make up for the fact that other people use their height and face as an excuse to treat them like a child um, when this problem could in fact be solved if we treated adults like adults, regardless of how tall they are or aren't. I'm very short, so I sympathize, empathize with this letter writer. I have faced uh, some of these issues myself and, you know, it, it did kind of go away on its own as I got a little older, but I, I yeah, I'm about five feet tall and I, I relate to this predicament a little bit. I am really sorry that you have also faced this. I know some of it you mentioned was just aging out. But aside from that, was there anything that you've ever found especially helpful? Um, have you ever had to talk to somebody about doing this? Um, was there anything that you found especially useful? Hmm. I do think that working on my own self-confidence and self-assuredness has helped. And that is not to say that I am like blaming this letter writer in any way. You know, I, I think that this letter writer is is the, the recipient of terrible behavior, um, not this person's fault at all. But I do think that in my own journey um, as a woman and as a person that is on the shorter side, that the more self-assured and confident I am, um, the the more people respond to me in a more respectful way. I shouldn't have had to do that, but I have noticed that in pragmatic terms it has helped. Yeah, I think the 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 two best things are going to be anytime that you're in public, just not giving any engagement to this kind of behavior, stepping back, putting out a hand, making it clear that they need to stop, and then turning your attention back to whoever you're trying to talk to. Um Doing whatever you can to, you know, as long as you have to be in town, um, applying for jobs that are maybe one town over if you have access to public transportation or a car. Um, If there's any remote work that you can look for to build up a professional reputation and then maybe parlay that into, um, you know, a recommendation elsewhere or or work with another company in that same field, um, that could be helpful. 
Uh, and to also bear in mind, you know, if you've just moved home as a new college graduate, it is also hard, even if you don't have relatives running up to you and doing this, to get a job. So it may not always be that that's causing the the, the challenge of finding employment. Um, and certainly, even if it's not possible to move in the next couple of weeks or months um, to talk to former professors you have good relationships with, um, maybe the career center back at your college, any friends you know who have since found employment in other cities – um, you know, send them your resume, send them your CV, send them a cover letter, let them know what kind of stuff you're looking for, ask them to pass along anything that they might have heard of, because it may just be the um, the best thing for you in the long run is to get out of this small town with your jerk relatives. Yeah, it's so annoying that they keep doing that. That's that's just, oh, that would be so annoying. The number of letters I get from people whose problem boils down to my family repeatedly does something really awful to me about one thing, and I have asked them in every way that I can imagine to stop, and they won't. Um, It's wild how many people's family members just feel like, well, we are related by blood, and so I get to do or say kind of anything I want to by virtue of the fact that I used to do it when you were 12, and you can tell me you don't like it, all day, and I just won't listen. And then eventually, when those people say, I don't really want to be around you, the family is like, you are so unreasonable. I don't understand where this is coming from. Why can't you take a joke? Yeah. Families are supposed to be about love, not annoying each other. Or like even some annoying each other, but then eventually when someone says, you are damaging my job prospects and I am unemployed, in part because of this behavior... At least then you say, oh, I, I've moved past annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like in this case that the family might think that that's even funnier. Uh, and I just, yeah, I, I really, really, really hope that this letter writer gets to move. Really, really, really strongly hope that that's the direction it ends up going. I do too. Good luck. Keep us posted. Let us know um, if any of these strategies are in any way helpful, if you're able to find a job, um, if you've developed any strategy, strategies for dealing with these family members that helps. It may just be that you need to kind of um, ignore your family. All right. This next letter is at least... Uh, very quick to read if you'd like to go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Subject, new girlfriend. Dear Prudence, I'm dating a wonderful woman whose previous marriage ended due to her ex-husband's infidelity. My last long-term relationship ended due to mine. How can I best approach her about my sins while assuring her they are in the past and not our future? What do you think? Well, I don't think that this is really as big of a deal as the letter writer thinks that it's going to be. A lot of people have done things in one relationship that they've learned and grown from and wouldn't necessarily do in their next relationship. And I think when you approach your partner about this information that, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense um, to really think about the reflecting that you've done and and not just like that you won't be unfaithful in the future. But, you know, why won't you be? Why do you believe monogamy is the right choice for you versus some kind of polyamory or non-monogamy? What have you learned about honesty? What have you learned about um, other people's feelings and, you know, how you want to respect them and communicate? I mean, I just think if if you did something in one relationship that you don't want to do again. You've probably been through some kind of self-reflection about why that is. And I think as much as you can share about that, I think the better your partner will feel. Yeah, I I think so too. I I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's also going to be good to go in just saying she gets to respond to this the way she wants to respond to this. Um, So don't try to rush too quickly to spin it or to reassure her. I I think the most important thing is just to tell her because, uh, you know, it sounds like you've been dating at least a little while. Um, You know, you you know why her last marriage ended. And I think part of the reason you did not choose that moment to disclose is you were a little anxious that she might not want to keep dating you if she knew that. Um, And I think any time that you think I am in a relationship with someone and the only reason that we're still together is because they don't yet know something that I know and I don't want them to know. Um, which is not to say that everyone needs to tell their partner everything, but if there's something material that you're holding back because you think they might not like you as much anymore or that they might have a response to it, I I think it's usually a good idea to disclose. So um, I I think mostly, yeah, say all those things. And then if she decides that she would rather be with someone who has not cheated in a long-term monogamous relationship, that she's not um, 
convinced that you have changed, that that is, you know, probably not the likeliest outcome, but it is something that you do need to accept. And if you tell her um, and she decides that that's not what she wants, then that was a good outcome. She learned something that enabled her to make a good decision um, for herself. It might not be the most fun, but you will feel better uh, than if you don't share it with her. So, yeah, I think just just say it. Just just tell her what happened. Say I've been embarrassed to tell you about this. Um, I, I want to be able to answer any questions that you might have about what's different um, between the sort of person I was in that relationship and the person I am now and why I make different choices now. And um, I'm just available for that. Like, we can talk about it. And I think also being really available to listen to what her fears are. You know, I, I had some... Um, the person I'm dating, I had some um, things on my list that were hard deal breakers that this person... Um, this person is uh they were a little sillier i was uh i was very adamant about not dating a comedian i'm a mm-hmm. comedian but i was adamant that i was not going to ever do Two that. comedian energies and a so lot i kept telling this person i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna date you but then you know we had a conversation where uh he was like well what specifically are you afraid of tell me all of it let's talk about it together and Honestly, the way that he listened to me in that conversation made me realize that he was a good person to be in a relationship with, like someone who could listen that deeply and care about my feelings that much, be that attentive. And I think that really listening to your partner's fears and feelings in this situation um, is a really great chance to to show up. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think whatever way forward it's going to be, it's not going to become from being in a panic and trying to reassure her that you'll never hurt her. Um, I think the only good outcome is going to come as a result of being non-anxious and honest and saying, I get why this would give you pause. I get why this might bring up some stuff from you. Um, I'm going to be here for that. I can I can handle that. I can talk about these things with you. I care about you and your feelings. And that with that in place, odds are pretty good that you'll be able to figure something out between the two of you. And you will feel, I think, much better once you've told this wonderful woman um, and you no longer feel like you are keeping a secret from her. I think so. I mean, you know, everybody like things in relationships are really different when you when you're talking about someone that you love and have a relationship with versus just like some abstract situation. Like, no, I would never date anyone who cheated. But then you are and you know them and they're your friend and you have a chance to talk about stuff. And sometimes these things just are not as black and white as they seem like they would be on paper. People can be. I think, pretty understanding and complex. Yeah. And and I think, too, the important thing to remember is like what you are telling her is something that happened in the past that you are not proud of. But you also, you know, you haven't cheated on her. Uh, You have not betrayed her trust. You are, I think, presumably still getting to know one another. It does not sound like you've been together for years and years and years. And this is a big secret. Um, So, you know, trying to keep it right sized. uh, It's not it's not that you have some confession to make about the way you have been relating to her. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to close with something I I think is kind of nice. I mean, it still involves a lot of conflict and, and family members behaving badly. But the, the core problem is, I think, a good deed. And that's usually a nice note to end on when someone's problem is a result. Yeah, this was I think this is pretty clear cut. This one. I don't know. I'm curious to see what you think. But for me, it's really clear. Yeah, cut. I, 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 th- I think you and I are going to agree on this one. So the subject is former stepdaughter. Dear Prudence. My late husband raised his stepdaughter from an infant to a teenager before he divorced from his ex. He always called her his child, despite his inability to legally adopt her. She lived with us for the last two years of high school when her mother remarried and moved away. My husband died last year unexpectedly. He never got around to making a will, but he loved this young woman. She's finally going to college, and I've formally offered to pay for her loans if she graduates on time. I'm also giving her a stipend, as her mother is often financially withholding. My family thinks that I'm out of my mind to make this arrangement. She isn't yours, quote, and she wasn't his, so why are you wasting money? I'm not overly close to this girl. I came into her life when she was almost an adult, but I think she's a remarkable young woman. My husband loved her and left me quite well off. Her biological father is a joke, her mother is inconsistent, and I feel responsible for her future in my husband's place. I've talked to a lawyer and an accountant. I'm not bankrupting myself doing this. Frankly, the pushback I'm getting makes me wonder if my siblings have a hidden agenda, as they all have children themselves, none of whom hold a candle to my former stepdaughter. How do I handle the unwanted input? It feels like every conversation circles back to this topic. It is suffocating. Whoo, baby, you do not need to keep having this conversation with your dumb jerk relatives. Yeah, absolutely. You're doing the right thing. 
it's none of their business. This is you, negative I don't, I don't think that this conversation is the conversation you ever need to have with them again. I think you can shut this right down. Yeah, this is like opening scenes of Sense and Sensibility, right? Where like Eleanor's brother is getting slowly talked out of leaving his sisters and mom any money by his wife in the carriage. Such that by the end, she's like, look, if you fling a grilled cheese sandwich at them once a year, I'm sure that's all your father would have wanted. Um, and he's like, gosh, you're right. Um Yes, you're. I think you are absolutely right on assuming that your siblings um, have some fucked up hidden agendas. Probably somewhere buried in there is a sense of you should be. If you're going to give out money to anybody's kids, it should be people you're related to by blood, because everyone knows that money and blood go together, because of red and green being the colors of Christmas. Like that's how much logic is behind their objection to this completely reasonable, yeah. kind. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like logical there's nothing continuation of your husband's wishes. weird about what you're doing. There's nothing unusual about what you're doing. It's the right thing to do. And I'm I'm so glad that you're doing it. And I don't think it should be up for discussion yeah. at all. Yes. Yeah. I, so you should not be giving any quarter to these conversations. I think the two things that you need to address with them are, number one, my finances are not up for debate. Let's stop talking about this. And if they can't do that, you just get to like... Once again, like point to the sign where you're like, hey, I have one rule. My finances are not up for debate. If you want to talk about anything else, we can do that. If you want to argue about how I spend my money, I'm going to leave the room. I'm going to hang up the phone. I'm going to like go have dinner with somebody else. I'm going to make other choices. We are done talking about this. Um, and then the other one, I think, again, these are two things that are really worth shutting down a conversation over. Sometimes conversations should not be shut down. Sometimes they should be, you know, pushed forward into conflict. But in this case, she isn't yours and she wasn't his. Um, fuck that. Absolutely. Um, this was my husband's child. Uh, he raised her from an infant. She was his child. If your definition of somebody's child is only somebody that they provided genetic material to, then you and I do not agree on what constitutes family, and we're not going to get anywhere with this. But my husband, who I loved dearly, left me unexpectedly. It means the world to me to get to provide to the girl that was his daughter. Um, and, you know, uh, to say that she's not mine, uh, we have a family relationship. I think very highly of her. I got to live with her the last two years she was in high school. I got to be a part of the process. Um, she's she's a part of my life, you know. Uh, she might not be like a baby I raised from infancy, but she's a part of my life, and I'm thrilled to be able to help her. Yeah, I think you can say that stuff, but also you don't have to. It's just none of their business. They, I mean, yeah. I don't. You don't owe them any more information about this situation at all. Yeah, my guess is if your husband left you well off, there's some lousy, unscrupulous element to your family members trying to tell you how to spend the money that he left to you. But just go with, she's absolutely a part of my family. She was absolutely his daughter. How dare you suggest that simply because they were not genetically related, they weren't family. Um, and my finances are not your business. I don't tell you how to spend your money. Don't tell me how to spend mine. And if they cannot do that, if they cannot meet that incredibly low bar, that bar that is just like, half a millimeter off the floor, then uh, spare yourself these terrible conversations and don't talk to them. You know, go see a movie. Take yourself out to a nice dinner with the, the you know, money that you get to enjoy now. Like, you just suffered a really serious bereavement. You should be taking good care of yourself. Let yourself spend time with people who care about you and who wish you well and who are not trying to tell you um, you should abandon your husband's child um, and not help her go to college. Absolutely. If there's one thing that this letter proves, it's that being blood related to someone doesn't necessarily mean love and vice versa because this is a very unloving way that your family is treating you this is obviously i think an example of one of the many ways in which like a biological family can go wrong and i certainly don't mean to make it sound on this show that i don't think biological families can be wonderful and meaningful sources of love support uh, continuity um, meaningful exchange etc cetera, etc cetera. i do um but i think a really awful attitude that I see often in these letters is somebody who thinks that being genetically related to somebody else entitles you to treat them with familiarity and contempt and also means that you can just like treat them like shit and they have to forgive you and they cannot object to it um, and that anybody who is outside of that circle you know even if you've known them for decades, even if you raise them from child, even if they're bound to you by the bonds of love, even if they treat you a million times better uh, than anyone you're genetically related to by virtue of having a different bloodline, um, they just can never, you know, 
They'll never be able to compare with me, your terrible jerk brother who's always mean to you and like asks nosy invasive questions about your finances. And I just think that's an awful attitude to have towards family. Agree. Huh. Kate, we did it. Daniel, this was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for sharing uh, some of the places that you are coming from and uh, giving us all hope that it's possible for two comedians to date and talk honestly about their feelings. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I don't know. You know, it's a new relationship, but uh, I'm trying some different things. Um, it's a... Uh, I'm optimistic about it, and I know that if it goes wrong, it will not be because originally I had on my list that I would not date a comedian. Do you guys have any rules about whether or not it's okay to talk about one another in your material, or do you guys want to vet each other's stuff first, or is it just like, say whatever you want, I trust you, or... Say whatever you want, I trust you, And, and, and also like... Please do it. I won't be mad because I think it's really important for comedians to have creative freedom. And I think that we both really want to be supportive of each other in that way. But I also think that neither of us are the kind of person that would like write an overly personal or super disrespectful thing about our relationship or each other. So I, I think you be definitely have but to we come don't back. have any jokes about each other yet. We'll see. We'll see how it is in real life when that happens. I was going to say you got to come back on the show in like a year or so and let us know like because that's either like beautiful mutual respect and intimacy that's going to produce some really remarkable work or you two are going to run into some moments that i want to hear about (laughs) yeah yeah beautiful intimacy or sick burns one or the other (laughs) kate thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciate it all right thank you so much for having me bye for now thanks for listening to dear prudence our producer is phil circus our theme music was composed by robin hilton don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening. 